Hey everybody, uh, happy Mother's Day and uh, welcome to Christ Community Chapel. Really, really glad that you're here. Uh, welcome those of you over in East Hall, those of you tuning in. Uh, glad you've joined us. Uh, we have a, a theme for this year and the theme is Transformed in 2018. Well, let me give you an update from last week. Uh, last weekend we had a Micah 6-8 weekend where we introduced uh, a new initiative called Transform Summit. It's our church's response to the heroin and opiate epidemic that is ravaging our community. Uh, because we feel like Jesus is the answer to everything. We feel like Jesus needs to be right there, smack dab in the middle of that problem if it's going to be solved. So we need to be in the middle of that issue as well. So last weekend, what we did was uh, talk about two things. One is uh, Reach Summit, Rescue Summit. One has to do with with uh, addiction recovery, and the other has to do with all the collateral damage that happens because of addiction, from kids being thrown into foster care to uh, the rise in human trafficking and all that. What we wanted was to have uh, people committed to praying and then also boots on the ground, actually doing stuff with our ministry partners. Uh, we, our goal is to have 10,000 people commit themselves to praying for one year to reach and rescue summit and have God impact uh, this particular issue. And we also want a hundred churches to come around us and help us with this. And last weekend we had almost a thousand people sign up uh, to pray and you might have been one of those people. We have 22 churches right now that have committed to coming alongside with this issue. If you have not signed up to pray, uh, you get pinged once a week or once a month on your choice to pray for REACH and Rescue Summit, you can grab one of these cards out in the atrium, and uh, it's kind of, it, there are two parts to it. You can fill out the one part for you to pray, and then uh, take the other card, and that's to give to somebody who doesn't go to this church to see if they want to be a part of uh, what we're doing and what God is going to do right here, right now. And uh, last weekend, because it was a Micah 6-8, all the offering, all that you gave last weekend uh, goes to Reach and Rescue, and you guys gave uh, $230,000 uh, to Impact. Yeah, that's great. You can <laughs> applaud that. Uh, I uh, always love the way you respond to those things. So uh, be praying for that. That's Reach and Rescue Summit. All right. So this theme, Transformed in 2018, is the whole idea that we want to be different in a good way by December. We're all going to be different, right? Every single one of us. You, are, you will either be closer to God or further away from God by December than you are right now. You will either be stronger in your faith or weaker in your faith. You will either be more like Jesus or less like Jesus. And our hope, our prayer, is that every single one of us is uh, closer to God, stronger in our faith, more like Jesus by the end of the year than we are right now. So every one of our series is about that change, that transformation. And this week is the second week of a four-part series we're calling Agents of Change, four tools that God gives us to help us change and then help us change the world around us. Last week was prayer. Next week, we're going to talk about worship. The last week, we're going to talk about the Bible. And this week, I want to talk to you about the gospel, the gospel. That word gospel literally means good news, good news. And good news... Uh, everybody loves good news because good news has the power, depending on how strong it is, how deep it is, how good it is, to actually impact us and change us 
for a certain amount of time. I'm a basketball fan, so uh, I remember where I was when I got the news that LeBron James was coming back to Cleveland from Miami. I happened to be on the golf course, and I got a text from my brother Brian from Chicago. And uh, he texted me and just said, hey, congratulations. Can't believe LeBron's coming back to Cleveland, right? And I could hear guys around the golf course screaming, right, all yelling. And if you're like me, you want to be the bearer of good news. So I was texting my family right away, my wife and my kids, hoping that I would be the first one to let them know that LeBron was coming back. That was good enough news to make me uh, feel different for a, a few days, right? But if there's deeper, stronger news, then it has the power to impact you longer. I remember where I was when my wife gave me the news that we were expecting our first child. Well, that was good enough news to impact me much longer than the fact that LeBron was coming back. The gospel of Jesus Christ is so good, so strong, so deep, it has the power to change you every day in every way from this day to the day you die and then after. So deep, so strong, so wonderful is this good news we call the gospel. Okay, I'm going to answer uh, three questions this morning. What the gospel is, what the gospel means, and how the gospel changes you. Uh, what the gospel is, what the gospel means, how the gospel changes you. First, what the gospel is. <clears throat> the fact that uh, Christianity is based as a foundation on good news sets it apart from every other religion. Uh, two weeks ago, I was on a plane and a guy came and sat down next to me. He was a Sikh. Uh, a Sikh, uh, particularly a man who's a Sikh, is pretty easy to identify because uh, they never cut their hair. So they always have a turban on and their hair is tucked in the turban and they have a big beard. Sometimes it's big enough and long enough to kind of wrap around them. But he sat down next to me. We began talking. He was a really nice guy. I liked him a lot. We had a great conversation. At one point, I turned to him and I said, uh, tell me, what does it mean to be a Sikh? And he, uh, he talked about the five distinctives. You know, and, and every Sikh, they, they never cut their hair and then they carry four articles with them at all times. And he told me about those things. There's a, a wooden comb that they tuck in their turban, in their hair, that they always have. Uh, he, had, he would have a sword, uh, not, a, not a real sword because he went through airport security. But he had a, like a little wooden sword to remind him to fight for those who cannot fight for themselves. Uh, they have special undergarments uh, for purity. Then they have uh, a steel a bracelet around their wrist. And he told me about all those things and why they carry those things. And then he talked about their worship. He talked about uh, their devotion to harmony, uh, to defending people who are vulnerable. In short, when I asked him, what does it mean to be a Sikh? He told me what a Sikh does. Now, he didn't ask me what it means to be a Christian. Uh, we're hoping to get together later on. We exchanged information because he just moved to Cleveland and we're going to sit down and talk. But if he asks me what it means to be a Christian, I'll answer quite a bit differently than what he did. I won't, I won't say what a Christian does. I will tell him what Jesus did. And that's the difference between instruction and news. Instruction is something that you do. News is something that has been done, all right, that has already happened. 
I've heard it described like this. If you lived in ancient times and you sent an army out of your castle to, do a, to battle an enemy, if they went on the battlefield and then hours later a messenger comes back from the battlefield and the messenger says this, the enemy has broken through. Bar the gates, arm yourselves, prepare for battle. That's instruction. You have something you need to do. Right? But if that enemy or that, that messenger after hours on the battlefield comes running back and the message is this, the enemy has been vanquished, the battle has been won, rejoice. Well, that's news because there's nothing more to be done. Let me read uh, a few verses. Uh, from This is from Romans chapter 5. And I'm just going to read the first verse of Romans chapter 5 and then verses 8 through 10. And what I want you to just pay attention to is the tense of all the verbs. Because the tense of the verbs is the past tense, which means that it's been done. It's not something to do. This is what it says. Verse 1, Therefore, since we have been justified, past tense, by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 8, But God shows His love for us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died, past tense, for us. Since therefore we have now been justified, past tense, by His blood, much more shall we be saved, past tense, by Him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled, past tense, to God by the death of His Son, much more now that we have been reconciled, past tense, shall we be saved, past tense, by His life. Right? A lot of past tenses there. Now, that first verse when it says, therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. If I went to my Sikh friend and I said, how do you have peace with God? He would undoubtedly have told me what he was doing in order to have peace with God. But Paul says, you already have peace with God because you are justified by what Jesus has done. So when answering the question what the gospel is, the gospel is news. It's not instruction. And that makes it different than all other religions because it's not based on something you do, but something that has already been done for you. That brings me to the second thing, what the gospel means. What is it exactly that this good news is? What, what does it mean that Jesus, when Jesus goes to the cross, He does something for us? What exactly is that? A lot of people will say Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of our sins. And that's true, but that's not all that happened when Jesus went to the cross. Because that's not actually enough to change me every day in every way from this day to that day. Right? And this is why. Forgiveness just gets us back to zero. Forgiveness gets me uh, to a clean slate. Let's say... Uh, Let's say I do something that uh, hurts my wife, uh, like I forget Mother's Day. <laughs> Could happen. And uh, let's say she was planning on me uh, doing lunch. She just had thought that I would do lunch, and, we get, and I get home today, and, and I have nothing planned. And then we're sitting at the kitchen table in that awkward silence with nothing to eat, and I'm looking down, and then I look up and I say, honey, I'm, I'm so sorry. Will you forgive me? And she forgives me. That's great. That just gets me back to zero. It gets me to a blank slate. How long does that last? It lasts until I do something else stupid. Right? That's the way forgiveness works. But there's got to be something more that God does. And let me, uh, 
Let me read you a passage. It's in uh, Romans chapter 3, just a couple chapters earlier than the passage I read to you. Now, I'm going to warn you, I'm, I'm just reading like five verses, but they're very complex. They're, it's kind of a dense passage, so uh, just bear with me and I'll explain it. It's what it says. This is beginning at verse 21 of uh, Romans chapter 3. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Okay, I told you that was hard. Um, the reason the Bible's hard to understand sometimes is that it uses words that we don't use anywhere else uh, but here in church. And the main theme of this passage I just read you is the, the word righteousness. And you only hear the word righteousness either when you read it in the Bible or you're here in church. So the question is, what does righteousness mean? Righteousness, uh, let me describe it like this, is a record of performance that's intended to open a door. It's a performance record intended to open a door. Uh, this is uh, right in the season where high school seniors graduate from high school. And those who want to go to college have had to fill out an application, and along with that application, they send in a transcript. A transcript is a record of performance. It shows the university uh, what grades that student has gotten throughout their high school career. And when they include that transcript, they're saying, this is my record of performance, and I give it to you in hopes that it will be enough for your university to accept me as being worthy to be a part of your university. That's righteousness. The student is saying, this is what I hope will make me right for your university. We do the same thing with jobs. When you include a resume, uh, you're saying, this is my record of performance. And what I'm hoping that you will see in this record of performance, that I am right for this company, for this position, because I am worthy to be accepted as this, in this job. Right? That's righteousness. Now, when Paul talks here about Jesus, what he says is that Jesus is, has something to do with our righteousness. If I were going to go to my Sikh friend, and when we talked about what it meant to be a Sikh, what he was giving me, and he gave me a bunch of really good stuff that he does, what he was giving me was his resume that he one day hopes to give to God. And to say to God, this is what makes me worthy to be accepted. And that's the way people think, right? Because that's the way all the jokes start about heaven with, uh, with St. Peter at the pearly gates, right? What's, what's Peter doing in the jokes waiting at the pearly gates? Well, he's checking resumes. Can you get in? Let me see your resume, right? And that's the way we think. But here, what Paul says is that Jesus gives us something, a, a different way to be considered righteous other than our own record. And this is the core of Christianity. Jesus goes to the cross not just to forgive us of our sins, 
but to provide a different way for us to be considered worthy to be accepted by God. One of my uh, favorite verses has become 2 Corinthians 5.21, and it's kind of this, it's called the great exchange verse, and this is what it says. For our sake, God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There it is again. So what happens is that, what happens for a Christian is that uh, we exchange resumes with Jesus. Jesus says, I will take your record of performance, and I will give you my record of performance, and this is now, makes you right, makes you righteous. So as a Christian, when I come to God, what I do is to say, God, I'm supposed to give you this. It's not mine. It belongs to Jesus. But he gave me his, and he took mine for this moment. Who wouldn't exchange resumes with Jesus when you're applying for anything, right? let alone going to God? And you get to say, God, I don't come to you on my own record of performance. That was taken by Jesus. I come to you with his record of performance, and I am righteous. I am worthy to be accepted by you. Right? Uh, that is what the gospel means, and it is amazing. And because of that, it has the power to change not just that day, but every day in between. That brings me to the last point, which is how the gospel changes you. The gospel has the power, because it's so deep, so strong, to change you every day in every way, from this day to the day you die and beyond. And I'm just going to cover three, but they're a little comprehensive. The gospel has the power to change the way you see you, the gospel has the power to change the way you see others, and the gospel has the power to, way, uh, to change the way you see God. All right, first, the gospel has the power to change the way you see you. One of the most important things to find out about a person, if you want to get to know them, is what makes them okay with being them. What makes you okay with being you? Uh, this is one of my all-time favorite props, and if you've been coming any length of time, you know the wheel, right? And this is the way every human heart works. This is uh, my theory. Every human heart, has these spokes represent all the different interests that people have. But in the middle is something that is the hub that holds everything together. And this is what makes you okay with you. When I was in high school, being an athlete is what made me okay with me. I think I went to nine different schools in 12 years. Every time I'd go to a new school, I'd feel completely alone. I would feel insecure, and I would be waiting, just waiting for basketball season. Because once I started playing basketball, I was okay with being me. Now, when I graduated from college, my athletic career ended, so I had to find something else, right? Although, well, this is interesting, there's still a residue uh, here of, for me, which is why when I work out, I uh, have a hard time not pushing myself because I'm so used to to this being what makes me okay with me. It can be anything. It can be, be, being a good mom is what makes you okay with you. Being a good dad, being a good provider, being a good business person, being smart, being successful, being a good preacher, right? All that. The problem is that whatever you put here is unstable because you, you can have good sermons and bad sermons. And some of you are going, you got that right, right? 
You can have good days of being a mom, bad days of being a mom. You can feel successful. You can feel like a failure, right? But if Jesus is what makes you okay with being you, if Jesus is what makes you worthy to be accepted by God and by yourself, then there are no bad days with Jesus, right? The gospel has the power to change the way you see you. Secondly, the gospel has the power to change the way you see other people, right? Um, Right now, one of the biggest uh, subjects of sports radio or uh, talk shows is, uh, or water coolers is, uh, who is the GOAT? Uh, GOAT is an acronym for greatest of all time, right? And now, because LeBron James has had such a great season, such a great postseason, it's reignited this discussion of whether he is good enough to surpass Michael Jordan as the greatest of all time. I think it's interesting, as a species, uh, as human beings, we love to compare. Uh, We can't help but compare. Uh, We compare ourselves all the time to other people. Uh, I don't know if it's true of other species. I don't know if the squirrels in my backyard are talking all the time about who's the fastest squirrel. And they go, yeah, uh, Carl was the fastest squirrel until he tried to get across 91. May he rest in peace. You know, I, I don't know. But I know that as human beings, we are constantly looking at other people to try to see where we stack up. If we're smarter, prettier, more successful, if we're better, worse, whatever it is. And uh, by the way, you can tell what's close to your hub by how you feel when you compare unfavorably to someone. Like if if I were to, to meet someone and they say, hey, Pastor Joe, I want you to meet my friend, Jeff. He's a chef. He's the greatest chef I've ever met. Unbelievable, right? Because being a chef is not my thing, I can be interested, I can be excited and go, really? Wow, Jeff, so good to meet you. Wow, what, you know, what's your favorite dish? Or, you know, can I ever try some? Whatever it is, right? I'm, I'm all pumped. If somebody introduces me to somebody and they say, hey, Pastor Joe, this is Eric. He's the best preacher I have ever heard. I'd be like, Eric? How you doing? I'm going to keep an eye on you, right? right? I don't know. You're probably the same way. That's just what happens. Right? But if Jesus is the, the hub, if Jesus is what makes you worthy, then it changes the way you look at other people. You don't have to look at other people and ever feel inferior because you don't have to compare yourself to other people in order to feel good about yourself. You don't ever look at other people and feel superior because you don't have to compare yourself to other people in order to feel good about yourself. The gospel has the power to change the way you see others if Jesus becomes your worth, your righteousness. And finally, the gospel has the power to change the way you see God. One of my favorite all-time things is to watch uh, a mom with, a new, with her newborn child. Because there's something about, a, when a, and I just got to see this uh, the other day, but when a mom's looking at her baby, it's like she is, um, she looks at her baby's face in such a way that she is trying to pour love out of her face into the face of her baby. And the baby's eyes will just lock 
onto the mom's face and begin soaking that up like a sponge. There's an experiment you can look up on YouTube, and it's called Still Face. And what uh, they did, it was an uh, experiment in psychology. They had a mom with a, with a baby, and the, the mom was doing what I, what I just said. The mom's cooing and talking and, and just loving that baby. And then the mom look, turns away like this, and then when she turns back, she has her face with no affect, just completely still. And the baby will look at, at, looks at the mom's face and tries to be cute at first. And then when that doesn't work, it begins to get more agitated. And within like a minute, the baby is screaming, screaming, because the face of the mom is no longer, has cut off from her. And so then the, the mother turns back away, and then she comes back, and she's herself again. It's a, it's a terribly cruel, like, experiment. But it was really interesting. And this is what I want you to know. That because of what Jesus has done for you, when the face of God looks at your face, God's face pours out love to you because he is full of delight for you. There's a, a passage in Matthew where it's like God can't hold himself back anymore and he shouts from heaven and it like thunders and what God says is, this is my son whom I love. That's what, Jesus, that's what God says when he looks at your face. This is, she is mine, he is mine and I love him, I love her. Because the gospel has the power to change the way you see God. Listen, this is true. The gospel is news, it's not instruction. It's not based on something that you do, it's based on something that Jesus has already done for you and given you as a gift. And because the gospel is such good news, it's so strong, so deep, so good, it has the power to change you every day in every way from this day to the day you die and then beyond. Because the gospel has the power to change the way you see you. The gospel has the power to change the way you see others. And the gospel has the power to change the way you see God. Transformed. 2018. Let's pray. Uh, Father in heaven, we come to you and we are so grateful for the gift of Jesus and that uh, you uh, had him go to the cross, not just to forgive us of our sins, but to exchange uh, this record of performance with us so that he got our record and we get his. And so when we hand that to you, you count us worthy based on what he, how he lived and not on how we lived. Lord, I pray for those who have never, ever experienced uh, the depth of that good news. I pray that this could be the day for them to understand it and come to you. And for those of us who know this news, I pray that you will drive it deeper inside of us so it really will change the way we see ourselves today, the way we see others, and the way we experience you and your delight in us. Thank you. Thanks for Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen.